Hello, welcome back to Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones and thanks for some lovely comments this week. Spread the word, this is the podcast where we talk to people in creative jobs and find out how they got to do jobs that they love. We've got some great guests coming up, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss them. This week, we're going back into the world of TV, but behind the scenes. Antonia Lloyd is a BAFTA-winning TV producer and editor. She series-produced the first professional MasterChef and the original junior MasterChef and has done loads more besides that, as you're about to find out. So, we're in the kitchen after the school run. And normally, it would be like, have you sorted out the kids' homework? And uh, do you remember the pee kit? But, Antonia, I'm going to ask you about this BAFTA that's staring at us. It's phenomenal. I've never seen a BAFTA before. It's incredibly heavy. Welcome to the podcast. And tell us what you got the BAFTA for. So I was series producer on the second series of MasterChef The Professionals. So it was a BBC Two show that was supposed to go out at about five o'clock in the afternoon. And one series had been done before it that had done okay, but had sort of been unrecognised, not really just growing a new a new format with Michelle Rue Jr. and some chefs who literally in the, in the final did things like apple crumble. Whereas in series two, we decided to really push the series. We found chefs who were really, really top-notch, who'd been working at really high-level restaurants and I really pushed it on and we also got Monica Galletti involved who's now a household name it was her first foray into TV I did that first sort of you know taste to tape with her she was you know very raw talent she was great with her looks but wasn't great yet at you know saying all the things that we needed perfectly to cut a long story short the series went really well they put it out in prime time they put it out around seven o'clock and the show was really recognized and we then got nominated we never thought we would win who are you up against gosh so we were up against james may's like some sort of engineering show we were up against a heston show i mean they were all household names yeah, but, but so you thought you had no chance yes i'd been i'd been on maternity leave for a couple of months we'd made it the year before and just didn't expect it i'd gone to get the vintage dress I was quite excited Night um, out. my husband was at home watching on telly <laughs> and uh yes we i couldn't we couldn't quite believe it we won it and i just yeah nearly keeled over but it is that thing with the weight of, of it well yes it was so heavy the party afterwards i sort of to pinch myself there was helena bonham carter oh. you know they were all there at the natural history museum floating around with champagne you couldn't float benedict cumberbatch it's they were so all heavy i just can't so get over it so heavy but i held on to it all night <laughs> greg wallace was very annoyed with me he kept saying you stole my bafta because of course the <laughs> presenters well that wasn't an award for the presenters so he was like oh you know you're just behind the scenes just, just behind the scenes Come on, you're the ones that make it happen. And and because it's got other names on it other than yours, I hate to say it. Even have you kidnapped it, or do you get to share it? So there are four names on here. Yeah. Mine, two execs I work with, Karen Ross and David Ambler, and then Carla Maria Lawson was the commissioning editor at the BBC. So we were all named when it was put forward as an award, and so you all get an award, and then they send you the plaque afterwards with your name at the front. Isn't so it that feels a like it's thing. that is so lovely so there's no That's having so to take it back it's yours forever yeah so you take it home on the night and then they send you the plaque and i've got a little certificate that i've framed as a producer then what is more important getting the audience figures or getting the bafta i think awards really help give confidence to new when you when you're going for a new job they know that you have it in you to push a format to to really think in an original way and that you're, you haven't got that fear so i think it always impresses employers and i mean i've only won one you you meet people who've won masses you know they're multi-award winning and but the thing is there's so much that has to go your way to win it and there are a lot of shows that are made that aren't recognized that are brilliant mm. so the award 
counts for something, but it also, as we all know, can count for nothing really because there are lots of very talented people who will never, unfortunately because of the way it goes, find that there's wins. In terms of audience figures, that is what commissioners look at. And if you get if you secure a second series, if you get the figures that can do that, that is ultimately what employers want. And all the money in TV right now is about coming up with the new format that they can then sell. And something like MasterChef has sold to over 35 countries. They've all got their own homegrown version. It's, it's apparently it's in the Guinness Book of Records. It's been pretty much, you know, one of the most popular, fast-selling global formats of my generation. And we never saw that coming. My boss was extraordinary and always very, um, you know, was a real visionary and very much like we, she, she guarded that format with her with everything and there were things we did and the things we just didn't do and you know I learned a huge amount. How did you get involved at the very beginning because I know you love food anyway and, mm. and food programs have become so much more popular over the years. Have you been involved in food programs from the beginning? I sort of fell into it. I was I started a small documentary company, did character driven programs, I did a history doc, I did ended up in San Francisco doing profiles on escorts, believe it or not. <laughs> Shouldn't really talk about that. Um, and uh, did shows I did a show all about you know, your classic property show where people try and change their life and I had to follow stories for eighteen months. Don't but, roll your eyes, I love uh, those. <laughs> Build a new life in the country. Yes. You know, we left London. I'm with them all. (laughs) Yeah, they were good. It's all about selling the dream. That's what what these things are all about. But I ended up getting the chance to work on it in the edit first. And then they said, oh, come and direct. And then from there, I ended up, my heart was more in producing. I then moved more to the producer side and then started series producing. So I did this breakout series of professionals. I also started the junior series for CBBC. We got nominated for a BAFTA for that, for the children's one. Didn't win that one. And I also did the big amateur series when they took it from a small... Well, not small, it was a very popular series, but we, we took it and it was a much bigger budget and it was in this huge space. And I mean, we, we got very good figures. It, the, the final got up to sort of seven or eight million. So what is it about the show then? That, what are the ingredients, I suppose? Because when you started working on it, because you've worked on other things, obviously, and when you started on it, did you get that feeling? This is going to work. I think it always, it always had an amazing team. It was always very clear editorially what we were trying to do. It was all about people who are passionate and you can't deny people's passion. And it, it doesn't matter what they're cooking as long as they believe in it and they're going for it and they're putting everything in it. You care and you've got to care. And the presenters, John and Greg, had to be also into it. And when it was the sort of earlier days, you know, it's hard for them that if they're doing it year on year, you've got to keep getting that performance out of them. So how do you do that? Well, you know, you just have to try and keep coming in at the stories in a new way. And, and if it feels like it's not ringing true when you hear it, you ask them to do it again or you find a different way of using the language. But you've got to keep fresh at it, which is why, you know, you do these series and then it's good to move on because otherwise... You, you get know, a bit stale. Well, you can. Mm. To use a food analogy. Yes. But, you know, the, I don't know, the success of these food formats, you know, I was lucky enough to work on it by chance and then just stick with it. It was during that period where I was becoming a mum. I had a female boss. I kept there. Mm. I worked on all the franchises, as it were, and it worked brilliantly. Since I, I've left, I've done loads of food because it was sort of what defined me. But actually, I have tried to do other things. I worked on Goggle Sprogs, which I found really enjoyable. And, you know, I love working with children as well. I find them amazing as contributors because they're, they're sort of unfiltered. You've got to be very responsible as a producer Mm. about how you deal with that but their reactions their use of language is so different to an adult who does often come out with things you've heard before and the way they 
say it, you know, children are, are gems. And you say it's all about, well, with the property, it was about a dream. And, and in a way, the food programme's a bit like, because even though we're not MasterChef the professionals, but we can think, well, actually, I might have a go at that. Or it, would that be right? I think you can watch it on different levels, can't you? You can watch it and just think, wow, that is art at some level. How does how do they do that? You can watch it and take away something about flavour. And if you are into food, try and incorporate it into your dishes. You know, is it food porn? Is it just waking up cooks who are sitting on the sofa and needing a bit of inspiration? I like it at all the different levels. Mm. I used to find when we were producing it, I didn't have time to cook that much. I was so busy, but I would then have this surge of, culinary creativity at home afterwards yes the you know the chocolate souffles would come out and actually after this shoot the master of the professionals i had to do my brother's wedding cake it's the first one i'd ever done i mean that nearly took me over the edge oh i can't even (laughs) think about that i mean just going to a wedding when it's with close family member is pretty stressful isn't it but the cake yes and it was all good yes it all went well Um, monica galetti i know i know i know yeah and i was his best man as well one of them because i'd introduced him to his um, future wife so quite a lot going on pressurise than producing or directing any of these shows and when you talked about Monica Galletti and you started well, she was quite a raw talent so how does that work how do you find someone like that and how do you get them in and what do you do with them I mean literally from a sort of programme point of view the show was going from half an hour to 45 minutes because it was a five o'clock slot so we had an extra 15 minutes to play with so my exec came up with this concept of let's introduce a skills test let's have somebody who's linked to Michelle who can be and we came up with the sort of the guard keeper the somebody who they had to get past to meet Michelle and then we'd build his his sort of presence and so we asked him because you know who do you have in your kitchens who could be good and he sent us three names and we got them all I spoke to all of them we got them all in and it was clear that Monica was the most exciting and that we could build something with her so actually you know that was unusual I've had to cast for lots of shows my last show I've done you know I've spoken to 30 plus people to see who's right normally it's a much longer process but I think because Michelle is somebody who has great integrity and we wanted to have a relationship that could almost already pre-exist mm. it, it was the right it thing works. to do and as producers who you know we knew we were confident enough to say we can bring this person on again it goes back to passion if somebody's got the skill you can develop other elements but she mm. had the presence mm. I think she had incredible expressions and also she because she was so raw she was horrified that some of these chefs just didn't know how to do things which we didn't need to produce she would just be shocked <laughs> when somebody would come in claiming to be a head chef and they didn't know how to spin sugar or you know so she put them in their place yeah. and you thought brilliant this is going to be great I don't need to do a thing it was a really enjoyable shoot yeah. I mean I remember I'm not number of occasions you know you just I just couldn't quite believe what was happening it was that sort of look away now they actually they were wilting and we didn't expect because her standards were so high and, and you talk about everyone wilting under the pressure I mean I know no day is, is the same in, when you're doing a shoot but for people like me who've got no idea we just watch it on the telly a typical day shoot ish starts early and yes. get the food in I mean that's the thing is you've got to have all the food so okay. you work with the home economist team and you plan way ahead of time what you're doing each day so with something like that let's say they would start with an invention test you'd have said that we always need to have a couple of key proteins or, and then 
Michelle, you get Michelle, come on, let's have a quick look. Are you happy? Or is there anything else we want to add in? Which veg? Or But then I would have chosen the classic dishes we were doing, whether it was, I don't know, um, it wasn't a souffle, but I don't know, a um, salmon en croute or a, I don't know, something exceptional. Uh, we did cannoli, I don't know why, an Italian dessert. But we'd, <laughs> we'd pick these dishes that were quite tricky that would test them and they wouldn't necessarily have done before. They'd have a recipe. And so the home economist would have got all the food in. But yeah, essentially you're dealing with a shoot. You're normally there 7 38 o'clock and if you're dealing with adults kids are different because your hours are restricted but you'll probably be there till seven or eight at night and and there yeah. must have been times when oh we've lost this vital ingredient surely no that's you too organized doesn't happen does it not? i was looking for a disaster that only happens in my kitchen obviously. well no, the thing is you set the terms so mm. if yes you're right if the home economist has forgotten something the thing is unless you've you've said that it had to be there then you haven't forgotten it at a certain point in the show these chefs would cook their own dishes and obviously they would have lists of that had been checked and so anything would have been caught beforehand about what they needed yeah. you have to be very very organized i, I can't even imagine that the level of just sort of ticking boxes and, and for somebody like you because I, I'm interested as well because you've talked about being a director and a producer whenever I look at the credits on a TV show you've got producer series producer series editor executive producer what are all the differences is it too complicated no I mean essentially the executive producers right at the top they won't be quite as across the detail unless they're unless it's a very new format so they're keeping the ship sort of they're steering it Slightly from afar, it's up to them how detailed they get into every decision. But the series producer, the next level done is across all the detail and the series editor. So I sometimes series produce, but I'm trying to be more towards series editor and exec. But I actually love the detail. I thrive in the detail. And I find if you totally go to exec, you're a bit removed. Mm. And I actually really like that because Mm. you're really in the thick of it. You're managing your team, all the relationships, you're managing all the talent, the people who are on screen, all the contributors. You're essentially trying to get the best performance, not only from people on screen, people off screen. So you've got to think through everything. And the exec, if they know they've got a good series producer, they, they worry less. They keep an eye. If, you, if you're worried about something, you go, I just need to check my instinct on this. Are you okay with that? But you're right in there. And yes, as a producer, you're organizing everything. You're making sure that everything is going to go to plan, whether it's for each shoot for the edit for delivery ultimately so from the the concept level or if it's already existing to delivery director worries purely about how it's looking on screen so again I'm not that as keen on I, I don't want to be up on every camera and all that you know I'm happy if my director will take all that on he or she can tell me about we really should be going for this camera I've spoken to the director of photography and he you know this is how it's you know all that you tie in the content with how you're doing it so the director will be all over that and then we'll work together to look at how the format can come to life where we're cutting those scenes and how we can streamline it so that's another stage where you really start visualizing how the show comes together from your script that's ultimately on paper and a schedule about how it's actually going time-wise to how is it going to look on screen which hit other cameras you know have we got enough time to do this do we need extra stings blah, blah. it's going to cost more money oh yeah always <laughs> So yes, it yeah. is sort of divided. So it's got to be this collaboration and you've, you've basically got to be quite open to... As the uh, cat climbs the curtain. Yes. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. Is he, he going to die? He's uh, all right? No, he's quite nimble. He's coming back down. <laughs> it's all fine. <laughs> so as somebody like you, you've got to be the ringmaster, I suppose, who keeps everybody... 
on a level, you know, because there can't be too many arguments because it's got to keep going, hasn't it? There's money involved and you don't want a team falling out. So you've got to be a very calm person. Very calm. You've got to be really calm. And also you've got all the different opinions within your production and then you also have to manage the channel. So the higher up the chain you go, the more involved you get with that. So if you're series producing, sometimes you're a bit shielded from that. But if it's a very big production, you're very involved with the channel. So I'm now much more involved with the channel and that can be a really good experience. It can be challenging but there are then different agendas and then you've got to try and marry those up with your team who may have different views so absolutely you're constantly trying to take people's views on and see a way through keeping everyone happy and you can get to a point where you work out that we can't do that for these reasons and people will accept that but you have to listen to all the views Mm -hmm. and then decide the best course of action. Mm. And when you say you started out on MasterChef when you were trying to get the best out of people like Monica, mm. you, you must have really drawn on, because you started out in theatre, didn't you? Is yeah. that That's how, how it all began for you. And can you just talk us through how... That was obviously a dream of yours, but did you ever think that you'd be working on a food programme? No, I mean, literally, we didn't have TV at my mum's house. My parents were divorced, and it was a bit of a joke at secondary school. You know, you'd sit in art, and everyone would talk about Twin Peaks, and I'd be like, oh, I was at my mum's last night. Didn't watch any telly. (laughs) We played Scrabble, and at my dad's house, he did have a telly. But the irony is that I then ended up in TV. Basically, I'd studied a lot of theatre when I did French literature and Russian, French and Russian at uni. I'd always been passionate about the theatre. I'd studied in Avignon, which is like the Edinburgh Festival, but in France. And I had a sort of, I think a sort of very idealised view of of theatre and felt like I wanted to go into that creative domain. Uh, But when I went into it, I realised that actually, you know, to be cruel, it was about putting bums on seats. Mm. They told me that at the Haymarket. So what were you doing there? They were running some special sessions to bring people in. They had dramatists, they had actors. So I was helping as in a voluntary capacity with that and then I was also involved in marketing and just I was sort of behind the scenes working out how things worked at a, at a theatre and trying to work out where you were going to fit into all yes this. and it didn't <laughs> I just didn't feel like I could fit in and then it felt like talking to people who were going the proper route because I couldn't get into the sort of royal court the dream you know they you then had to have studied English you had to have and I had why did you have to have studied I don't know English? it just it felt like it was a bit more precious and I just thought you know I'm just not going to get on in this world I need something that's a bit more robust Mm. and I think I probably realized as well that my knowledge of theatre was very based on French and Russian and ultimately that was obviously going to be so niche and I know people who did Russian and then went and literally went into Russian theatre and brought Russian playwrights over and all this sort of stuff and that was all it was just too niche and if I was going to go mainstream theatre I felt like I didn't have the base to actually bring it together I just thought do you know what it's not going to work just keep it go to the theatre that's fine love it and I just always loved the live performance I found it really special Mm. I felt like as somebody who appreciates the art I like that gap that you get between an artwork and how you perceive it I I like to have space and I think that's where as a producer I like that creative space between the two and so a piece of paper that tells me what I'm supposed to be doing and how I conceive it isn't scary to me because there are so many ways you could go. But so many people would look at a piece of paper and just panic. Yes. So you've got to be a certain type of yes. person. So when did the penny drop? When did you think? And I went I- to India, did a bit of soul searching <laughs> for a month with my brother and he said, look, you should go and talk to this friend of mine who works at a documentary company. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe. I said, but what? I don't know anything about telly, God. You know, I played Scrabble. <laughs> 
exactly and of course I you know then I thought oh my god I don't fit in because I haven't watched anything they all knew everything and I thought oh my god but of course I haven't spent the last you know 10 years just absorbing neighbors soap operas and you had a lot of catching up to do so much so I picked and chose what I liked and it was a really good place to start because actually I just learned about how you cast a really good contributor how they need to be articulate how their story isn't necessarily reliable so the first thing I worked on was with a very good documentary maker called Royals and Riots and it was about the wedding between Charles and Diana but intercut with all the riots in 1981 that took place across Britain and the Seuss laws. It was literally a tale of two cities. And I was in charge of finding the people who'd line the route on the day of the wedding, but also the rioters in Brixton, in Toxteth. And so I was, you know, it was really interesting. So I'd put, and of course in those days, it wasn't sort of, you know, I was sending faxes and getting onto the radio and, and talking. And, you know, I'd be interviewed on radio to try and get people with memories to come forward. And then I'd interview them and then I'd present them to the director. Just send a tweet out now, couldn't you? I know. It was so different. Yeah, Yeah, I remember the fax machine. God, it was exhausting, you know. (laughs) But so that was an actual, was it like a a proper job, like a freelance job? Yes, so so very quickly I went from being sort of work experience to being a sort of junior researcher and I I helped with new ideas and then I got put on this history documentary and was then finding contributors. And so... So they obviously liked you. Well, yeah, I got on with the... It was a nice team and in fact I met my future sister-in-law there who I later introduced to my brother but it was a really nice small company run by a lady you know it was very good so if we're sort of thinking about so I've got the BAFTA here and we look back to where did it all go right that was a massive moment for you when you you went to India your brother said right you know what you need to change direction you kind of felt that in your heart Mm. as well and then just getting that work experience climbing the ladder for you kind of you started right at the bottom right at the bottom it was like an old apprenticeship you know this is the thing in media you can go and study media studies or you can go and just start somewhere and starting small is a good way because you have to get across everything I learned all about contributors and, and literally I think we did the filming at Elstree for some of those interviews and I was too junior to interview them, but I remember going and being in awe and seeing how he did it. And how Yeah, how did you learn all the technical stuff then? Just on well, the job? Well, later. So then, that summer, my exec said, we got this documentary series for Channel 5 commissioned all about escorts. And suddenly, I was out there with this assistant producer and we were trying to find escorts, which was a complete nightmare. So we got out there and realised that, of course, the law said that really what went on between two consenting adults was fine but obviously being an escort was illegal and we were trying to get them on tv so it was a very tough job how did you do it it was the most bizarre couple of weeks in san francisco meeting up with these girls in coffee shops and then and then we realized that a quick way to meet lots of girls not a good idea in hindsight was to obviously meet their ringleaders (laughs) we had a couple of very awkward (laughs) events uh, where we had to get out pretty quickly also, we needed girls who were empowered and who, who would share their story in a way that wasn't, you know, demeaning. And we did find some amazing... I remember meeting this woman who was um, training to be a lawyer, really smart. She had a boyfriend, but she decided that this was the way to bring in a bit of extra money. You know, she had her sort of where she would go to and where she wouldn't. But she was a good subject because she wasn't your somebody who was oppressed by it all. She yeah. was just quite punchy and you, you saw another side to it. But I find it very interesting that you did that and then you're in a studio with 
well, I won't say shepherd's pie because that's too simple. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? How how different could that be? I mean, you've got... I know, I know. That was and a- I was doing audio. I was responsible for the sound. It was literally, I was with a director who was filming it and I was responsible for sound. That's a very important job though because... You know, when I do these interviews, I think, oh, have I saved it? I would have these terrible dreams where I'd wake, because she was quite a tough director, and she would, she did put me under some pressure, and I would wake up in the middle of the night, because we'd have late shoots, because obviously of the subject matter, we'd be up very late, and I'd wake up and I'd sort of imagine having to put a boom over, you know, to go and start recording parts of the bedroom, and, and have I got it, and have I got <laughs> a buzz track? And, oh, it was awful. Oh, it was awful, but actually, I managed to record it. There was no disaster. So from there... So from there, I then came back. I worked on a few other shows. I did a bit of reversioning of history series, all about Hitler's Holocaust. So actually, I did a bit of history at the beginning. There was actually a show that we almost got off the ground. So 2001, obviously, 9-11 happens. And when I got back, because I was in San Francisco during 9-11, finishing this documentary series, we started to... (laughs) work on a show called My Son, The Freedom Fighter. So I was completely up on Islam and I had to start finding contributors for this. I spent a couple of weeks in sort of Bradford and Luton and was right in there talking to all the people on the ground who were dealing with people with extreme views. It was quite a dicey time. We didn't get the commission in the end, but I learned a lot and I did really enjoy it. And, you know, my career could have gone in a very different direction, actually. But then I went I went to talk back and I ended up on dinner party inspectors. <laughs> The food began there, if I think about it. And that was a funny show where we had to... I was responsible for finding these contributors who, was, who were running dinner parties. And then people like... And Victoria Corrin was one of our judges. And she would be in a separate room watching and commenting on how they were getting on. So food reared its head there. Okay. And I found the sort of Welsh caravan dinner party. And I found some uni students at Oxford from a couple of different parties. And we had a quite a sort of fiery political dinner party. So I set all of those up. So it's finding just some brilliant ideas and, and also coming up with original ideas because I know you love doing that as well but when you talk about when you worked on a program and then it wasn't commissioned mm. that must be quite a frustrating part of the job where you work really hard you, you're really passionate about something and someone just goes no nah. do you ever feel there are times you just think oh there could be something easier that I could be doing or is it the passion that just keeps you going on to the next job and well that's it? why I never stayed in development I think I mean they're amazing people who are in development but basically People work every day at new ideas and only the best ideas keep surviving. But the the energy you have to put into constantly coming up with ideas is exhausting. And I actually like it when I know I've got something that I can move forward with. My ideas need to be concrete in a way. I don't like operating in this very abstract sphere for too long. And if I really believe in something, then I would keep hammering away at that and honing it and trying to put it in front of a channel. But I walked away from development. But that one, I think it was a funded development. So we were able to, starting to get to the point where we were meeting people and we were close and there was a lovely director on board. But in a way, we all agreed, well, that it possibly wasn't going to go anywhere and it was the right decision. Mm. Equally, the pro, you know, actually just doing that taught me a lot. So I think you have to take, you have to be quite zen and not get involved with channel politics. You know, they're going to make their decisions. You can get irate about it, but it's not really worth it. Being zen, though, you have to be quite, because I'm being a freelancer myself and I know people who have normal jobs <laughs> and they go, how do you cope with the kind of what am I going to do next? And I suppose, I guess I'm lucky in a way because I have a husband who has a normal job. But it can be quite unnerving, can't it, when you're thinking, well, okay, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing in next month or even next week. Do you mind that? 
Look, exactly like you, I couldn't do it without my husband. He has a more stable job and is able to be you know, based in Oxford, whereas I generally have to travel to London or wherever you know work takes me. But I find it exciting that I could be doing new things, that that call comes in and you can feel... The buzz. Yes. It's that theatre thing again, isn't it? It's a, literally, you get that sort of... There's something that gets exciting. You know, you get excited and you start to imagine. And interestingly, it's only when those conversations give you that that you know that that could evolve into something the ones that leave you a bit cold you know they, it yeah. just you just know it's never going to get anywhere mm. and it is about human it's about those relationships and I try to work with people who who make me feel like no yeah we're going to make something good here mm. but I think the way I try and operate is I save some of the money I'm earning now so that I don't need to worry if there's a gap. And in yeah. fact, I try to take the summers off for my children so that they don't get too annoyed with me. Because You're very organised. I think that's brilliant. And you obviously managed to get your maternity leaves in and then come back. I don't know many people that come off maternity and get a flipping BAFTA. It wasn't part of the plan. I mean, I just had to... It was sink or swim, honestly. I had to just get the show made and then somehow it, it went well, literally. <laughs> I think, you know, you're just, you're operating often on survival because these, the timelines, I mean, the the show I've just done, I had about four weeks to get a new show off the ground. And thank God we did push the deadline back to sort of six weeks. But even so, we were going at a million miles per hour. I don't know many industries where your timelines are that short. Mm. Uh, You just have to go for it. Do you think that there's still going to be an appetite, excuse the pun, for food programmes? You know, because they've, they've sort of gone really high but I wonder if it's it's plateaued a bit or do you think that what's going to be the next big thing as well well Netflix has got something coming out I must watch called The Final Table which sees something like 24 chefs working in pairs and they're all doing national they're doing national dishes of cuisines around the world and people get eliminated but it's a massive sort of competitive food format I think I'm really interested to see that I think you're right I think I myself because I'm so in the genre I'm aware that I need to keep diversifying because I don't know where it's going to go and where that appetite will Mm. take us because things can only get very derivative that's not a good place to be in and I don't want to make shows where we're just trading off things that we've done Mm. so how we move the genre forward in a creative world we will always find ways but I mean the last show I've done is a hybrid of a game show and a cookery show I mean hybrids can work if you get it right that's called Beat the Chef Channel 4's Beat the Chef that's going out later this year and it's exciting as well well, though, there's so many things like Netflix and there's so many other ways of seeing television and consuming it all that for you, that must be quite an adventure coming your way. Yeah, I mean, Netflix is, is I think, going to be a big thing. This year, they're saying there's, there's much more appetite for building relationships with the UK producers. I may be involved in a show that's a spin-off with Netflix France and using my French later this year. So I think seeing what the Netflix thing is all about could be interesting. And if, if you want to have a long career... That's the one thing you need to do. You need to keep moving and keep building. And it was something that actually I remember hearing from in a lecture at university where somebody from a creative background came to talk to us. And she said to us, if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor, that's all very straightforward. You know the route you've got to take. It's a, it's, it's a linear progression. Mm-hmm. If you go into a creative industry, it will never be linear. And you must never expect it to be. And I listened to this and thought, okay. And she said, you know, you're going to move forwards and then you're going to move sideways and then you're going to move forwards again. And, you're gonna... and she was absolutely right. And I think it's back to how your creative mind works. But if you're prepared to just keep finding your way through, keep following the 
projects that interest you, the people who you connect with, the subject matters you connect with. You know, I don't want to just be stuck in food. I'm really yeah. happy so to almost move. almost reinventing yourself. Yeah, I think... Do a Madonna. Why not? <laughs> why not? But that's really interesting advice, isn't it? Because if you know that from the beginning, you know that you've got to be a quite flexible person. Yeah. And don't say... You can't say yes to everything, but don't say no to something because you just think, oh, I couldn't do that because some things can be scary, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. But then... Well, it was probably David Bowie or someone like that who said, you know, unless you're, you know, really in the deep and feel like you're out of your depth, you're not living. And I do feel that. I think now I can be braver and take projects on and go, gosh, is, this is a bit crazy. But then actually some of those are the most satisfying. And I often do new series and it's always, you, you always get to this point where you're like, this is going to be a disaster or how are we going to pull this together? But you're sort of united with your team with this thing that you're trying to create. It is like giving birth. And when you get there and if it goes okay, it's very satisfying. And then, of course, you have the, the drop-off at the end where you feel a bit like, oh, it was another one, another series. Oh, dear. I need to I've go got to sleep. To... Yeah, and then you've got to find something else. Yeah. The vacuum Pick is there. Pick yourself back up again. But then again, the phone rings, something interesting I happens. Know. And it's kind of the buzz it's, again. It is odd. Yeah, it is. But it's exciting as well. And and for anyone listening who maybe is just about to start out, I think the fact that your route was just so working really hard from the bottom all the way up. Absolutely, absolutely. And getting some training as you go. Mm. But the main thing is to just always just show your interest and ask questions and actually not be scared to show that you don't know something because there are a lot of people who are willing to be very generous. And if you can see someone on your route who you think... I'm very like that person. I could be like that mm. person. Karen Ross, who I won the BAFTA with, she was like a mentor to me and I'm still very close to her. And I think if if you can find those people who help make sense of what you have to offer in an industry. Because it's quite, a, sometimes you're on your own. You're at home. You're yeah. not in an office. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to have somebody like a mentor mm. to, to talk to and bounce ideas off is hugely helpful, isn't it? Definitely. So for you, Definitely. what would you really like to work on? What What's kind of... Well, I mean, on the to do list, I would like to work on Bake Off at some point, I must say, I think it's such a, you know, historic show for the nation. And I am a massively keen baker. So I've started to try and make contact with Love Productions. And, you know, who knows, at some point, I would like to work on that. But equally, you know what, I think, you know, that's an existing hit. So you've got to come up with a new one. Actually, yeah. Part of me would love to be able to come up with something that was mine that because I've got so much experience now, but I feel a bit fearful of that as well. So whether I'll be able to push the creativity through and come up with my own format and do that, that would be definitely something for the bucket list as well. Um, and otherwise, in the meantime, to just keep taking projects that interest me, that push me and develop me, that I think are worth making. You know, there's, there are a lot of bad ideas. Sometimes you, you, you have Some to... Some of them make them to the telly. <laughs> I know, I know. And you have to extricate yourself from those interviews where you think, oh no, I don't want to make that. But when it's a good one, or, and when it, there are people that you want to work with, then it's worth fighting for and going for. Yeah. Well, look, this BAFTA looks lonely, so I think it needs a friend to come and sit next to it so maybe that's the the next thing it's really fabulous talking to you and and hearing your route and all your interesting stories and the behind scenes stuff about MasterChef which I have no idea about and now I should stay because you can cook me a fabulous meal with all your cooking skills Antonia thank you so much Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I keep forgetting to mention and thank my brilliant producer, Megan Bramwick. So there you go, done it. We're on Twitter at WhereGoRight. And don't forget to download, rate and subscribe. We're on Podbean and iTunes. See you next week.